Hello and welcome to The Advance, conversations about news and the Mid-America Union Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm Pablo Colindres, Digital Media Manager at the MAUC. This week, I chat with Elder Gil Webb, the Vice President of Administration for the Mid-America Union. We discuss the history of the regional conferences in the U.S. and whether or not we still need them today and moving forward in the future. Gil uh, Webb uh, with Mid-America Union, serving as Vice President of Administration. Uh, been in this position since January of 2013. I came here from Central States Conference, which is a part of the Mid-America Union. It is the regional conference within this territory. I was last serving as a pastor of the Linwood Boulevard Chimple and as ministerial director for Central States Conference. Okay. Yeah, so how long have you been here at the Mid-America Union again? Since January 2013. Okay. Uh, so I've completed four years. Yeah. Just about. Just about. Yeah. It's been a, a journey, <laughs> a nice ride. We've seen some changes, and I'm pretty sure we'll see more as time progresses. Mm-hmm. I've been in ministry since 1976. Right. Okay. Uh, most of that time in Central, in fact, all of that time in Central States Conference. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, I I wanted to bring you in here to talk because of a worship you gave uh, at one point uh, in the morning. We have worship um, with all the employees, and you gave a worship that was more of a history lesson um and it was about can you sure i was reiterating i had recently done a a sabbath school lesson or sabbath school class over at union college church a college new church and we've been invited to talk about uh, conferences and unions or regional conferences why they exist do they still need to exist Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the jumping point there was the need for regional conferences. And so I came back here to the office and shared for my beginning worship that week, uh, that discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it quite interesting that they would have such a question, uh, <laughs> you know, with the class being predominantly Caucasian. Uh, at first, I was wondering what my comfort level would be like in theirs as well. Right. But I figured that once we got into it, everything would be okay. And it was. Uh, it kind of brought out the idea that the need for regional conferences still exist mm-hmm. uh, for the mere fact of evangelism and, and reaching people of color. Right. So uh, just to, just to, guess to recap, the regional conferences are historically uh, geared toward more color, the, the color congregation. African-American, yes. Yes. Um, they are, they are regional conferences are within unions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have state conferences and then you have regional conferences. We have uh, nine unions in the North American division. And within those nine unions, we have four union presidents of color. And we have 11 conferences where the... Uh, 
the president at the helm is a person of color. Um, initially, it was thought that maybe we could not uh, administrate uh, to a successful level. Um, it, it has an interesting history of how we even got to this point mm-hmm. of having regional conferences. Yeah, I want to get and I want to get into that in a little bit here. Um, but so I guess to to put a base on today's conversations, basically, where did the regional conference come from and why we still lead them today? Why we need this kind of quote unquote separation that exists in the in the church. And it's not just an ideological uh, divide, but this is like a divide that exists on paper and everything. Well, I, I guess if you just look at the idea of, I guess, separation is a word that can be used. But when you look at it in the context of ministry and separation, there is no requirement to be separate mm-hmm. within the regional conferences. The idea of separation came early on when persons of color would try to go to an Adventist church and they were told their church is down the street. And so that kind of generated some idea of separatism. Right. But it was not necessarily the thought of the regional conference. In fact, when the idea first came up, it was not an idea from persons of color that we have a regional conference. It was something that was generated from a whole different scenario. A gentleman had taken his wife to a doctor. She had fallen ill. And uh, when she went to the doctor, they had pretty much almost admitted her. But when someone discovered that she was a person of color, they refused her. And they set her out in the lobby-like and... Uh, she had to go to a hospital down, down the road a bit, and uh, there she died. And that kind of generated an idea, well, well, you know, we would like to be equal. Right. But it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, geared that way. And did she go to a hospital that was administered by the Adventist Church? Uh, she went to an Adventist sanitarium in Washington, uh, Tacoma Park, Maryland, rather, and uh, for medical treatment. And uh, she was refused. So then she did go to another area and was um, taken care of. It was a Freeman's Hospital. There she died of pneumonia. And what year was this? This was in 1943. So before both of us were born. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it was something a long time ago. And uh, so uh, that incident, perhaps other similar uh, generated a serious discussion about uh, equality uh, in membership, equality in service, and equality in the ability to do service mm-hmm. in the Adventist Church. Um, from that incident, there was a meeting called. The meeting was to ask the General Conference President to come and talk to them about the situation and see what could be remedies could take place. And... Uh, this group was set up as a result of it called the National Association for the Advancement of Worldwide Work Among Colored Seventh-day Adventists. When they first started off, they didn't ask for colored conferences or regional conferences. They were talking about uh, what can we do to make sure that within this church structure, we are used by our giftedness and not denied by our color. So the, the original intent was not to create something new or anything. It was just kind of advocating for more inclusivity. Right. Well, it says that the result was instead they gave us our conferences instead of integration. Uh, so the, re- the idea is we, we wanted integration, but instead of integration, they decided, well, you know, you all can do good at leading out in your own conferences. And uh, 
That was a new idea, a new thought, but not rejected by all African-American people. There was some hesitance mm-hmm. about uh, some who hesitated whether or not people were trying to get in that position because of the power as far as person of color goes. But in a real sense, it was not a, a, a desire to have power. It was a desire to be used in the cause of Christ as gifted and as needed. Right, as capable and, yeah. and qualified. Right. Yeah. And in the church structure where you where you are capable and qualified and you're denied because of the color of your skin, and then, then you have what you have now. But it was a blessing because the Adventist church grew by leaps and bounds. Um, and it's a reality that you can minister to your own much better perhaps than others can. Right, that makes sense. And so I understand the... the question or the concern about the division or the separation of conferences. But if you have a regional conference and you decide to get rid of it, and then the state conferences take over the territory, but they don't have an emphasis on. Mm-hmm. Or they don't know how to approach. Right. Yeah. Uh, I remember you saying that one of the things that uh, jumped out of you, at you during that Sabbath school, you know, is when you asked, you know, how many people have, would enjoy that type of, uh, um, worship setting and almost no one raised their hand but it's because of that there's this difference in culture and that's I think that's one of the reasons that the regional conferences have succeeded is that they can address those differences uh, s- straight on basically yeah, without question and, and I guess you know now all regional conferences uh, there is no regional conference that denies access to its membership by a person of non-color Right. In other words, uh, there is no exclusion, but those that are excluded choose to be uh, because they prefer not to uh, listen to the music mm-hmm. or the worship service is too long or the preaching is too loud. Uh, but yet uh, they would love for us to close down the regional conference leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't want to close down the churches because right. to close down the churches mean a decrease in membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, to me, it kind of gives an idea, and I, I wrote about this not too long ago, that when a, uh, an organization tells a congregation, well, your music is not the right kind of music, or it's too loud, or the preaching is too loud, or sermon's too long, it's like saying that God does not want to pay attention to your kind of worship. And I don't know if God is limited. Well, I'm pretty sure he's not. Mm-hmm. When I look at the, the different types of trees and the color of flowers and <laughs> I'm pretty sure that God is a God of, uh, he's a multifaceted God, you know, so I don't know why we get to the idea to think that one style of worship is the only style of worship that God appreciates and God right. loves. The King James Version is the only version. Yeah, <laughs> that can't be. Yeah. You know, but I, I guess it, the reality is, in today's time, with our young people, uh, to come into an environment where race is not an issue so much as it was back in the day. Uh, how do we? How can we still have mm-hmm. regional conferences? Well, if you get rid of the term and you just have conferences that are led by persons of color, and which leads to churches that are led by persons of color, mm-hmm. um, and you talk about evangelism, then there wouldn't be an issue. But because the color line is mentioned as regional conferences and state conferences, right? That's what sets up the the dynamic that we have. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that this confusion could be 
done away with if we simply change the name. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but we don't do away with the leadership that's at the right. Home. Yeah, keep keep the leadership. Keep the leadership, which was the, the original cause of the of the uh, dissociation, right? The advancement of worldwide work among clergy service the Adventists was just to promote leadership, right? I mean, you know, you had at some point in time you had young people who were who were denied opportunities to go to school to become because they realized that there was no place really in the church for them. Right. But with the creation of regional conferences, it then opened up another door. Mm-hmm. For young men and young women to to ha- to know how to enter into ministry or to at least become aware of availability in ministry, by uh, a Wellington Clark, he says, "Is there a necessity for a change, or are you brethren forcing this upon us?" Talking about regional conferences, so this is this is when the, the, the decision was being debated, right? Okay, is it because of the widening extent of our work that you know you want us to do this? And then Mechelhaney says, "No, this is nothing that has been forced upon the brethren." The general conference has not come here with cut and dry answers. You might be waiting for us to hand out another sheet. We don't have it. We are anxious that the Lord would lead us in developing a plan that will be for the best interest of developing the work. Were we to organize in a union a colored conference, what would be the relationship of that conference to the union? It's a question. Mm-hmm. It would be in the sisterhood of that union conference. In the Southern Union, where this plan is operating, would the present plan be continued in addition to the organizing of colored conferences, I don't see how that would be possible. You'd have a dual administration. We would not have two forms of organization operating in the same field. So then the question comes, within the context of that union, you would have a regional conference and a state conference. Would there be differences right. of operation? There would still be one organization. Mm-hmm. But how do you deal with like two leaderships, basically? You, you, you have two different types of leadership, mm-hmm. leadership styles. And the emphasis will be based on the in, influx of people that will be coming to the to the conference, mm-hmm. and or again working with those on the on the color line situation. Again, there would no there would be no discouraging of Caucasian individuals coming to an African American church or church of color, but there was quite consistently a denial of colored people or Negroes to come to a white church. And the point was, your church is down the street. So it just further emphasized the need of uh, two existing congregations, uh, of course, under the, under the banner umbrella of being Seventh-day Adventist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was an interesting dialogue and an interesting exchange. So the idea is, is you don't need a large, but yet you have a small number and you have in that group people that are qualified Mm-hmm. and can do the leadership, let's let them go. Uh, and let's do the cooperation and the planning and let's strengthen that group. Let's not divide them, but let's add two to make it a stronger situation. Mm-hmm. And that was a union conference president. Has there been a a uh, general conference president that was African-American or not American? No. Um, for me... Uh, most recent memory, there was one gentleman that had the opportunity, I think. Uh, he was not North, he was not African-American, but he was a person of color. Very light color, I should say. Uh, in fact, light like the lady that was denied hospital treatment. Okay. She was really light, and they thought she was white. Which is why, yeah. So when they yeah. found out she wasn't, that's why they, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was, my, my recent memory is understanding, an elder Brown, I believe his name was. Uh, he had the opportunity to possibly become but it really did not come to pass. And I suspect the way the church is going now, that eventually, uh, as God moves and as people are moved out, uh, 
uh, we may find that there will be persons of color uh, leading the general conference. Uh, you know, because the church is growing mm-hmm. and it's becoming very diverse. Um, and there are a lot of people of color from Africa uh, that uh, are are leaving out now. And so... Yeah, I mean, they do represent the, the majority yeah, of yeah, the church. Question. Yeah. And so for a church to deny them the opportunity further... Um, kind of foolish. Yeah. Further demonstrates the idea of the lack of inclusion, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is sad. Um, but yeah, most of the time people take to people of their color or their kind. Uh, right, it's and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, but when you deny others because you figure you're better, <laughs> then becomes a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's keep going down the line of history here. What, what else do you have? You brought a couple names here. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the general conference president at the time of this whole scenario was McElhaney. And uh, he, uh, he came to the point to realize that the people of color were, were not going to back down. And they were pushing now that they were impacted in such a way you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of encouraged him to make, make the message clear to the general conference. They didn't want... Uh, a person of color to present it, they figured he was general conference president. He ought to make the presentation uh, so that it would be clear that it was not something that we were pushing, but it was something that the church in its entirety or in the church in its leadership was saying, let's do it's this. Really good idea, it's, right? it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that scenario, it takes away the idea that somebody's trying to push excuse me, their way into leadership. Right. Uh, there's no agenda attached to it. There's basically. no agenda. Yeah. And actually the agenda came from, from a different perspective. Right. And we moved within the context of that agenda. And again, it's just, uh, history has proven over and over again that the, 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 glow, the, glow, the growing church uh, has included persons of different backgrounds and has not excluded persons of color. And, and, uh, so is original conferences or or things like it is that just here in the North American division or well do you find this anywhere else well for instance even in Canada you have two conferences that are uh, the administrator is a person of color but they're not called regional conferences but mm-hmm. yet in the other unions in the North American division they are regional conferences within those unions within the, the uh, Assembly of Venice Church in Canada, that union, those two conference presidents, one uh, who was in Quebec and the other one is in Ontario, uh, they're not considered regional conferences. Right. So, uh, so, and then of course in Africa, they wouldn't be considered regional conferences. Right. Because, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes there. So, the boundaries of our regional conferences lie solely within U.S. soil. Yes. Okay. And we have, of the, of the nine unions, there are two unions that don't have a regional conference. Okay. That's Pacific Union and North Pacific Union. However, in Pacific Union, the president is African-American. Mm-hmm. In Lake Union, the president is African-American. In the Southern Union, the president is African-American. And the Atlantic Union... Uh, he's not North, he's not African American, but he's a person of color. 
Uh, and so within those confines, uh, they have the, the uh, nine conferences that are considered regional. Um, but the Pacific Union and North Pacific Union in particular, they have persons of color over regional affairs, mm-hmm. which is their buy-in to regional conferences. And those unions uh, never decided to become uh in those areas, they never decided to become a regional conference, so they decided to serve in the capacity of a uh, person of presiding over regional affairs. Okay. Yeah. There have been discussion, uh, times that were considered to vote on establishing a regional, a regional conference in Pacific Union in particular, but it didn't go much farther than, you know, we, we have what we have right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um and, and like like I said before, this is a question that really does come up uh, with people of my age, millennials. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, the NAD did a, a a live Facebook live stream. I saw that. Yeah, it's called this. It's this thing on, and one of the questions was set up by the uh, Student Association President of Oakwood, and they mentioned how um, this you know apparent it it, all, it, it just looks bad. You know, apparently at first sight, it looks bad. And for uh, my generation who are increasingly leaving church um, from ethical standpoints, you know, from transparency reasons, you know, we can't trust an institution that we don't know everything about. It has secrets. Um, this is a, a huge stumbling block. You know, what do you what, what would you have to say to people my age who might not maybe not take the time to look at you know, the history or any of that and just kind of look, takes it at face value and says, this just does not look good. Let, let me see if I can, I may take a few routes to get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, when, you know, this political season we're in, mm-hmm. they're talking about voting and not voting and people not going to vote. But when right. you don't go to vote, you really vote. Right. Yeah. You, yeah it's a, it's a <laughs> so whoever wins, vote, you yeah. voted for that person. Mm-hmm. And so likewise, you, you have little ability to impact like you would like to impact if you leave the church. Mm-hmm. So for the millennial who says, you know, this is not what I think church ought to be, they really, but they feel a love for Christ, a love for God, and they feel a love for the people inside the church, then the answer may not be leaving the church. The answer may be staying in and seeing what you can do to promote change at your level mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully cause the church to make a difference. Because bottom line is, when this church started, it was not gray heads. Right. Uh, there were young people. Uh, and eventually what happened, evidently young people grew older and they didn't replace as they should have. Uh, young people sort of began to migrate in this kind of situation. And of course, historically, when you have the the countries as the state countries it was with the Civil War and all that. But today, the answer, I don't believe, is leaving the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not stepping outside and saying, well, they can't be this. And that's not true. And there's not transparency. If, to create transparency, you probably need to be inside to cause that transparency to evolve, which would mean that um, you would step out of your comfort zone or the comfort zone of the congregation you're in mm-hmm. and migrate to another church. And so for those young people who say the church is not it doesn't reflect what we think it ought to do, then begin to move into those congregations. And you might find out in moving there uh, that you find out who is against or who is for. And Mm -hmm. once you do that, then you can begin to try to break down that barrier in that local congregation. 
Uh, and that to me would be the most strategic way to do it is to become a part of, stay in the church. And if you know there's a church that's fighting against something, rather than say, well, I'm going over to this other church mm-hmm. where I can be accepted, stay there and work through the process so that eventually the change that needs to happen, God through you or through them can make a difference. It should be the catalyst. Yeah. Basically. Instead of finding way, finding out, well, it's not what they should be doing. I don't know. I can't stay here. That to me is kind of an easy way out. Right. So leaving or or maybe seeking out comfort is just a cop out. Basically. Right. That's what I yeah. would say. Of course, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> right. you know, but, uh, you know, there were times even where I am now that I, at times I felt like maybe I didn't want to stay by. But the answer is not leave because bottom line, this is the Lord's church. Mm-hmm. And if I love the Lord and I love him. And I realize that people in here that have a different view that I think is wrong or contrary to Scripture, I don't have to point the finger at them to get them right. I must need to just need to live the life that I believe that God would have me to live and interact with them in such a way that they might, you know, if Christ had come and said, well, you know, they're not accepting, I'm leaving. <laughs> we, we never would have the plan of salvation come to his pass. You know, so we have to kind of hang in there and uh, and make it happen. But I think... At this point, history says it does. It has succeeded, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe that in due season, uh, at the appointed time, God will make a difference. He will make the change very evident. That is time not a shift from regional conference to state conference just to get the work done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the millennials may have that. They may be that that entity. They may be that generation that brings about that change. But if they leave. And the ability to make that change becomes more difficult and more challenging. Right. Um, well, I've always been kind of curious about how we got to that spot in 1943. Uh, because when the church first started, you know, like you said, there's all young people, most of whom were staunchly abolitionist. Yes. You know, Sojourner Truth was in our ranks at the beginning of the church as well. Um, but somehow, from between that point and 1943, something must have been disconnected. Um, because the racism was apparent, you know, um, and uh, I guess how can we learn from that mistake? Make sure it doesn't happen again. Like, uh, were there any signs of things that went wrong that might have you know, put all this whole thing into motion? Which thankfully has come out positively. But well, the institution of slavery kind of when they divided black and white uh, and made the black apparently beneath by conversation mm-hmm. uh, that instituted that in the South that, you know, the whites and blacks couldn't go to the same church. Uh, if they did, they had to sit in different situations. And so that kind of mindset was there. And so it was from not necessarily the church initially that caused the divide. Right. So and like so, Jim Crow laws and stuff. Yeah, those, yeah. those kinds of things. And and I believe that, uh, Pablo, I I believe that today, if there's going to be a difference, there has to be a a difference from the perspective of African-Americans as well as Mm -hmm. non-African-Americans. People will do what you allow them to do. Some things you may have to die for, for a change to take place. Uh, If I'm always taught that I'm beneath somebody and I acquiesce to that, that's where it's going to go. But if they tell me I'm beneath him, and I say, no, I'm not. And I fight for that. I may lose something, but if I stay in the fight, 
that lessens their power and control over me. You follow me? Yeah. So um, the younger generation, the church when it started, there was not the fight. And some of it was with wisdom because they wanted to get the gospel out there. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, there has to be this willingness to die for the sake of the gospel, what you believe in that's right biblically. And so in today's world, we have, we're have we dealing with racism right now in a very big way, however you want to look at it. And I think the answer is going to be that people are going to have to stand up and say, well, no, I'm equal to. Mm-hmm. I'm not less than. And if the church moves in that direction, then we just have to fight that in the church under the banner of God and the Christ, Christ the church and his church and move forward in such a way that we're not bringing reproach upon the church. But we realize that we have to walk that line, mm-hmm. respect each other and expect respect. Right. Um uh, I, I talked to Dan Jackson a bit uh, last month or two months ago at SAC and talking about changes that need to happen. And the main point that he made was that needs to be this uh, cycle through the leadership yes. setting that includes uh, younger people, uh, people of color and, and, and so on and so forth, uh, more diversity in there. And, uh, you know, with the whole unity word being a, a hot topic right now within our church, um, what steps should we take to to not only appear more unified? I, I think, first of all, we need to clear up the word unity and uniformity. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think that's yes. where we're stuck. We're stuck mm-hmm. with uni- unity and uniformity. Uh, and so in order to, to get over the, the idea of uniformity, is to realize that's not what God is asking for. Mm. Uh, if that was the case, he told the 12 disciples, okay, this is what y'all wear. Yeah, right, yeah. And this is what time this, this is, what time, but he didn't do that. Only wear this brand slippers, yeah. only he wear, yeah. He you know, and the essence is said, not go. They all came and they all had issues. And he didn't, in fact, I was, I was quite interested, intrigued in the fact that he did not divulge the mindset of Judas to the disciples until actually... He tried to do it when they were doing the foot washing, but, you know, after that, he's, so he let everybody go their way, but use what you have mm-hmm. to do what you have to do to keep the gospel going forward. It's basically, don't miss an opportunity to capitalize on every member's abilities That's it. and capabilities. That's it. And, and why would we need everybody doing the same thing the same way all the time? <laughs> There's only need for one man. Mm-hmm. It's really hard because religion is a very personal thing, but church isn't, you know, church is very communal. Yes. And so having, making sure those two combine seamlessly is always a huge issue. Yeah. In your community, I mean, because you have people in the community that are different. That are different, yeah. They grew up different. They listen to music. Household is different. Their family person, structure is different. Yeah. Their personal relationship with Jesus, even between families, it doesn't yeah. have to be with, against, from a member from one Island. Within the same family. Yeah, within yeah. the same family. So so when you talk about going to church, when you bring all these cultural differences together, it may be hard to find uniformity, mm-hmm. but you can find unity in that we're worshiping the same God. Right. The goal is the same, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. You know, But to say, I've got to sit still, and I can't raise my hand, and I can't stomp my feet, and I can't clap, I can't say amen, i got to just sit there and nod. It's <laughs> totally ludicrous, because... You know, and I experienced it just recently, just as recent as four or five days ago. Some uh, a, a group plays plays an instrumental, and it's non-emotional. 
but it's brought, and I need to listen to it because I'm I'm there. Right. Yeah. But I've been in situations where a black preachers come in, and the white brethren just kind of look around and think she didn't get out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, so which says to me they believe that their worship is right. Right. And this worship is wrong. And what makes that right? All right. There's. I think there's a reason why. There was never the the only times you see what what true worship really is in the Bible. The only times you see the definitions, it's all about like helping out the community. You know, yeah, true it. worship is splitting your bread with the poor and all that that's stuff. It. But it's never about this type worship of music. Style. Yeah, exactly. That's not, it. That's yeah. not it at all. But we so we find ourselves on this road. And uh, thank you so much for coming here, Mister Gill. <laughs> I hope that what we've discussed is yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, I hope we can... You edit whatever you want to edit. You're the man. <laughs> we'll do. Whatever, yeah. You know. and hopefully we'll have you back for another conversation sometime. That would be great. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Advance. Please join us next time. 